Welcome to the Grumpy Economist podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, and the Grumpy Economist is John Cochran, the Rosemary and Jack Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, and of course, the proprietor of the Grumpy Economist blog. And John, we will look forward to the day when there's nothing new to say about COVID-19, but that ain't today. So back on that topic this week, and our listeners may have read you in the Wall Street Journal as well as at the blog, talking about where we are right now on the economic dimensions of the virus. And let me start with a point uh, you actually made to me off air after this journal column ran, that there's all this anxiety, understandably enough, about whether we lift these shutdowns too quickly. A lot of people are nervous that the president's maybe trigger happy on that front. But you were really keen to emphasize that the shutdowns shouldn't be seen as the safe default reaction, that they are themselves actually emblematic of a kind of failure rather than a success. So make that case for us. Yeah, uh, they are the panic button. Now, it may be appropriate to push the panic button, um, but the way one should treat a, uh, a virus like this is by nipping it fast and hard in the bud. So um, you know, when you see it coming, um, people getting off the plane, you you, you test like crazy, you uh, trace contacts, you isolate people who've gotten it. Um, that's intrusive. Uh, it's quite intrusive the way uh, Korea and Taiwan and Singapore are doing it. But that staves off having to spend trillions and trillions of dollars on the, on, on shutting down the whole economy, which is just a sledgehammer approach. So that's that's how we should be doing it. We, we, it, we got out of hand, so they had to shut things down. Uh, but uh, I view the current time as uh, best spent preparing to get to a more nuanced um, uh economic plus public health approach where we where we start doing some of that stuff we get the tests in place we get the masks in place we get the ventilators that seems to have taken forever to get going uh we start doing the contact tracing we put out the hot spots uh we work with each business so that businesses can reopen in a virus safe way i just uh, i just talked this morning to both a realtor and a architect who have been totally shut down by the state of california now those are businesses where you can immediately think of here's some rules we can do this safely okay let's get the rules to get that safely as opposed to just think of total shutdown of the economy till the whole thing goes away as as our only policy option so use the time to prepare please uh get the economy going in a virus safe way and Let's both get going on the um, right kind of public health uh, uh, policy and, and get ready so that next time this thing comes in, we have a public health policy uh, that, that's ready to stamp it out without shutting down the economy. There is a mistake that many of us are culpable for in the way we talk about this. I did it a bit there in invoking the president in the first question. It, it's a lazy tick we have to talk about this issue because it is in some sense national as thus being federal. I mean, aspects of it, of course, are, but the effects of the disease are not evenly distributed thus far. The policy response differs by jurisdiction. And you've cautioned against thinking that the entire country needs to respond in exactly the same way in every particular instance. Walk us through that. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, public health is a matter of state and local authorities. It's a matter of the of the bureaucracy of the federal government, not presidential action. Um, we, we don't live under, a, you know, a, a single dictator, and, and for a good reason. Uh, the kinds of things that need to be done aren't sweeping declarations. It's the exact rules that an architect's office is going to use in a county where there are X number of, of, of problems. 
So uh, personalizing this all in the president, though, though our current political habit, uh, I think, is a, a terrible. Now, the president, of course, has to set policy and has to deal with emergencies when, when they happen. Uh, but the real action of fighting of public health happens on, on much lower levels. John, talk to me about federal spending. So we've just had this big piece of legislation passed. We are throwing tons and tons of money at this, again, for obvious reasons. But one of the things that you emphasized in your journal piece was that we need to spend that money in a way that could keep us from spending even more, having to spend even more further down the road. Give us a sense of what that looks like in practice. Well, uh, so what's the money for? The, the idea that this money is to stimulate the economy, that's not the point. <laughs> the economy can't be stimulated because it's the government that's, that's uh, shutting it down. The point of the money is to spread around the pain, uh, to take from future taxpayers uh, who will then feel some pain when they have to pay the taxes and, and give it to people who now need the help. That, that's something government does um, just to the tune of a huge amount of money. It's also to um, solve some you know, gaps in the financial system so that we don't have a needless wave of bankruptcies and to keep businesses ready to come uh, when, they're, when they're there. But um, the U.S. government's ability to borrow, I mean, we're now talking about $6 trillion uh, for the whole thing. The ability of our government to borrow is not infinite. And so I think um, a, a little bit of let's spend wisely as opposed to the current drunken sailor attitude uh, to spending, I think, would be important. Uh, I've, I've been in communication with some people in Italy, and, and what, their government is not running trillion euro uh, de, uh, spending bills to stop this. Why? Because they don't have it. Uh, Italy cannot borrow a trillion euros anymore. Uh, if we're not careful, we might be in that position uh, as well. There's been this debate over the past few days, uh, driven by a number of things, but especially by Governor Cuomo in New York as to whether President Trump has been too slow to use his power to have the federal government compel production of the goods that are needed in the crisis. But you made a very interesting observation the other day, which is that compelled production is actually not the optimal strategy, even in a crisis, to get goods to market. Explain that for us. Well, so so when does a government compel production? Um, You compel production when you're fighting a losing war and you need battleships and you can't raise the taxes or borrow the money to buy the battleships uh, or the mark or there's a market that is just uncompetitive. You just got there's no way but to force it. That's not our situation. Uh, The stuff we need yesterday. The stuff that uh, our government should have been ramping up in January is face masks and ventilators and and uh, and hand wipes and toilet paper. I mean, this is not stuff that costs a trillion dollars. There is no need to compel that production. And and when you can afford to do it, um, simply paying the price and giving companies the incentive to start producing gives you rivers more production than you'll ever get out of compulsion. So, you know, for the trillion dollars of the stimulus, think how much toilet paper you could get. Just offer, <laughs> offer. we'll pay $10 a roll, and you're going to get inundated in toilet paper. And I think that as, as you look around also in the details of the, of the blogosphere, the amount of creative energy going into do-it-yourself ventilators, uh, make-it-at-home face masks, uh, th- there's a huge amount of regulation in the way the FDA won't let us import face masks that are sitting around the world. But but um, unleashing that, I, I got an email from a um, correspondent who, who put it beautifully. Uh, what I want is a free market, free for all. Let companies retool. Let doctors and nurses from other countries practice. Let testing companies flood the market. Uh, you know, they, they tried to send us t- uh, do it at home tests and the FDA stopped them. 
a moment of American innovation. Let's do what we're good at um, rather than uh, what socialist countries claim that they're good at. Uh, it's a wonderful way of putting it, which I, I, there is this untapped amount of innovation and we've got the money. So uh, if you let loose this floodgates of money on, on buying um, things, I think, I think you would get far more. You, know, you can't get magical amounts, but you can get far more than you can by, uh, you know, imagine a, a government bureaucrat descends on the Hoover Institution, says, you guys got to make 10 more podcasts. And you go, well, how? We, you know, there's only two of us. Um, <laughs> Uh, if if instead the government said, "Hey, we'll pay you ten thousand dollars a podcast, we'll get podcasts." Up. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I like this model, John. Uh, along those same lines, thinking about how we get the most use out of the available resources, uh, you've argued that a lot of economic resources that are underutilized or out of commission because of the virus, things like hotels or, or drivers, uh, could actually be employed to help us cope with the virus. Give us some examples of that. I'm, I'm glad you uh, brought that up. Um, this is an example of the kind of creative thinking that people come up with fast and bureaucracies can never seem to implement. Uh, in fact, with this came, we were going out for a run um, uh, up on the Stanford campus, and there's a, uh, there's a hospital right next to an empty hotel, and the hospital is building um, tents in the parking lot, and there's an empty hotel next door with a whole staff of uh, janitors and waiters and, and cleaning people who are now on unemployment insurance. Come on, guys. Um, yeah, you know, And this is happening, by the way, in, in Thailand. They figured this out, that uh, people who test positive get an all-expensive paid two-week stay in a hotel with a free, uh, free Netflix. Uh, well, that puts the hotel to work. That keeps people out of hospitals and and uh, out of uh, out of contact with other people. Uh, win win. But it's the kind of creative thinking that's awfully hard to uh, get bureaucracies to do. While we're on the role of, of federal assistance here, so things have been moving so fast that it's easy to forget that since you and I last talked, the Federal Reserve has announced these extensive efforts to support the economy. For those to whom the Fed seems sort of perpetually opaque, can you give us a layperson's description of what exactly the Fed is doing now and, and also how well you think it meets the exigencies of the moment? Boy, the, the Fed sure is uh, opaque, isn't it? And they, they use a language that <laughs> makes it impossible to figure out what's going on. So the central <laughs> thing, the combination of what the Fed and the Treasury have done is the Fed is going to get in the business of lending uh, directly to companies, um, not just giving money to banks on the hope that banks will give it to companies. And the way this works is um, the now it's dangerous for the Fed to just give companies money because the Fed is an independent institution and, and uh, handing money to businesses is like writing checks to voters. There's, that's a very politically fraught thing to do. So what the Fed is going to do is the Fed is going to lend the money basically to the Treasury, and then the Treasury is going to lend the money onto the businesses. And the Treasury then takes the political heat for which businesses did it lend to and on what terms, which is entirely appropriate. We've got an election coming up. Uh, if you don't like the way the Treasury uh, hands out money, then uh, you know how to vote in the fall, um, as opposed to the Fed doing it. But, but what they're doing together is really printing up money and then the government lending it to businesses. Now, lending is, is better than gifts. Uh, the incentives for lending are a whole lot better. Pe you know, people take it only when they need to pay it back. Uh, it's still rough and ready, um, but uh, I, I think it is. Uh, we don't want a wave of needless liquidations, um, you know, businesses torn apart uh, because they can't pay bills for a few months. Um, so that part of it's good. And the Fed is also working to uh, ease bank regulations. 
you know, banks might be public spirited and say, yeah, we'll, we'll let you slide a couple months on your mortgage and we'll lend you some money, even though you have, you don't qualify, you have no income coming in, but we'd love to do that, but our regulators won't let us. Uh, and I, I understand, uh, this is informal, but my understanding is that the Fed is is working on on allowing banks to do that. So also to get money to businesses through the banking system. So John, let's say I'm running the Council of Economic Advisors at the White House right now. God help us, but for the sake of this hypothetical. And I stop by your desk and say, you know, no one in our office is going to be able to control the public health dimensions of this. That's That bit's out of our hands. But we do have a hand in economic policy. And beyond being worried about how we make things better, I also really need to answer the question, how do we not make things worse? So what are my landmines? Where could we screw this up? How would you answer that question? Well, I, I do think um, for a while you could have the separation. Uh, public health takes care of the health and economics cleans up the mess. Uh, but now that we're we're into the trillions of dollars and shutting down the whole economy for months on end, I think public health and economics have to work together. You can't just decide there's essential and unessential. Essential goes on and unessential is shut down. Uh, We have to talk about uh, how all businesses can operate at a reasonable level with a reasonable level of safety. Uh, given also the local circumstances, the you know how things are going in the in local testing and so forth, so they have to work together. And and I, I our current CEA chair is a health economist, uh, Tom Phillipson. So uh, that I'm, I'm I'm not in touch with him, but I, I there's an ideal uh, CV for being <laughs> at, right. in that place right now. Um, I do think so. This I view this not as the end of the world, but as a dry run. We actually got a pretty benign virus, <laughs> one that's just enough to get our attention, but isn't killing ten to twenty percent of the people that it runs into. Um, we our governments are were shockingly unprepared for this. Um, the places that had a worse H one N one, Taiwan and Korea, did a much better job. So certainly I would already, as CEA chair, be um, setting, starting the commission that's going to say, here's learning from the le- learning the lessons. How are we going to do this right the next time? And the second thing is, is um, they say nobody worries about moral hazard in a crisis, and that's false. Every crisis sets the expectations and the standards and the, and the precedents for the next crisis. Look at the fact that we are now bailing out large businesses. Why is the government bailing out large businesses rather than letting them seek bankruptcy protection and reorganize? Well, because that's what we did in 2008. Um, so what, what you do sets up the incentives for next time. So paying a little bit of attention to doing this right. This is not the last virus. There will be more of them. And, and if what we set up is everybody who borrowed too much money gets a gift from the federal government, um, then the incentive to save some money, to be around there, um, if, the, if the Fed props up every asset price, the incentive to keep some money around to be the, the bottom feeder, to provide liquidity in bad times is, is just gone. Um, you know, even, even in the labor markets. So while I feel terribly for anyone who loses their job, if they get 100% of their salary, so long as they stay off of work, there are actually many jobs that are needed. There are places looking to hire people. Amazon desperately needs people. Whole Foods needs people. The retailers, the online retailers are expanding. So uh, a little bit of uh, people looking to see what they can do to uh, help now isn't, isn't a bad idea. So incentives always matter in economics. Um, so let, let's try to do this smart to the extent we can. 
The final question that I'll ask you, there's been a lot of speculation about what the world looks like on the other side of this. And you can ask that question on several fronts, but I just want to stick here to the the economics of it. Does the post-COVID-19 world look pretty much like the pre-COVID-19 world, or do you see this engendering more lasting change in the way the economy looks? Well, I hope it engenders some lasting change. Uh, <laughs> every financial crisis has led to, oh, we're going to change things. we got to change. Oh, well, come on, risk on. Let's go back to normal and, and wait for the next bailout. Um, we have not learned the lesson. That this is not the first um, pandemic. We have not learned the lessons of the last ones. I would hope we would learn the lessons of this one. So I, I would see both hopefully and in a forecasting mode, two things coming out of this. If we recognize we are in the era of pandemics, that globalization will lead to a new virus uh, every year and a bad one every five years, what that should lead to, first of all, is a lot more attention to risk and resilience throughout our companies. Let us stop running companies that are are just sitting on rivers of debt. Let the government stop subsidizing debt finance, please. Uh, if all of our companies had, didn't have mountains of debt and instead were just financed by equity, they could weather this a lot more. If they kept some cash reserves around, because who knows what will happen, they could weather this a lot more. If they had um, more diversified supply chains, uh, they could weather this a lot more. So I think an, an attention to resilience, both in public policy and in private business, just an attention to this is going to be something that happens over and over again. Let's be ready for the big one that kills 10% of the people that get it would be great. I also see some permanent changes in demand. Um, this, uh, at a minimum, people are, are like us are learning to use a lot of technology. Uh, in my own world of economics, um, just in the last week or so, we have exploded with um, online Zoom-oriented conferences, meetings, seminars, uh, and, and so forth. These have advantages beyond just a second best during a virus. I think we're going to, a lot of the world will move online and, and, and big things may change. Uh, travel, cruise ships may not come back. Uh, RVs might be good. <laughs> um, this whole move to everybody living in crowded cities, um, we may actually go to more dispersed virus safe um, ways of doing business, but also, uh, you know, all of us had to learn how to use Zoom, and and that opens up a lot of opportunities. So there may be permanent shifts in demand. Um, uh, Commercial real estate, a friend was asking, um, you know, what's going to happen to uh, rented office space? Well, it it might be that that market just craters because people don't want to be sitting together. It might be that we have to build a whole new generation of offices that aren't cubicles that you sneeze over, but instead uh, cubicles designed to be robust to... um, uh, robust to, uh, to to diseases. So I, I think there will be permanent shifts in demand that, that it will be fun to watch uh, as an economist. You've been listening to the Grumpy Economist podcast with John Cochran. You can read the Grumpy Economist blog at johnhcochran.blogspot.com. And if you enjoy the show, please rate it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. For John Cochran, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society. For more information about our work and to hear more of our podcasts or see our video content, please visit hoover.org.